listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, this is Mark Ballo from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne, as always, and today we've got a, a brand new episode. This uh, one is going to be with Rob Rock from, uh, gosh, Impelitary. Uh, he's got solo albums, uh, Joshua, uh, Angelica, uh, Axel Rudy Pell. Uh, he's another guy like, you know, we've had uh, Mark Bowles on in our podcast earlier, and uh, he's another guy, just a, a real great classic metal singer. Uh, real in-demand guy. So uh, what do you think about that, Tom? Well, I've been very pleased with the fact we've been able to get Mark Bowles first and now Rob Rock. There's a couple of other singers that I'm hoping that in 2023 I'm working on uh, getting. So this was, I think, one of the biggest artists we've we've had on the podcast so far. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, one of my favorite singers in this genre of music and very thrilled to have him on. And... Um, couldn't been couldn't have been happier. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, let's get right to this interview with uh, Rob Rock. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining us here on the podcast tonight. Hey, my pleasure. Glad to talk to you guys. Thank you, thank you. Um, Tom's got a big stack of CDs in front of him. We're gonna get to uh, all that good stuff. Um, but what I like to do is, and what we like to do on the podcast here is, we tend to kind of when we talk to an artist, we kind of get their whole career. So I'm going to go back to the very beginning. Um, and I want you to tell me, you know, where you grew up and how you got into music and how you became a singer. Cause I do understand. I think you were a, actually a drummer, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so let's see. I started out, man, I started out listening to my brother's band playing the cellar up there in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, he had a band and, uh, they used to rehearse in our cellar and I used to, uh, sneak down there and watch them play and I wanted to be just like the drummer that he had there. And, and I, you know, my, I was what, I think I was like 15, 14, 15. I'm like, I want to be in your band. You know, I want to be in your band. You know, if I get a chance, he goes, Oh, you, you gotta, you gotta learn how to sing first. You can't be in this band without singing because they, they were doing a lot of Beatles and all kinds of stuff like that. So I started, uh, not only was I drumming away, I was trying to learn how to sing on my own too, you know, singing with the records and drumming with the records. And I actually did get a chance to join his band. It was my, I think my first band actually was my brother's band for probably probably like a year year and a half or so and um i wanted to play uh you know more modern stuff a little heavier stuff <laughs> and uh eventually uh because they were doing a lot of weddings and stuff so they were doing all the classic stuff back then and i wanted to play more you know pop and hard rock and what i was hearing on the radio so uh i ended up starting my own band and as a drummer you know i, I actually uh I joined a band that turned out to be a precursor to Vice, which is a band that was in for many years in on the New England club circuit. Oh yeah, kind of forgot about them. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I, I basically once Vice got started, well, actually it was Tangram before that. Once Tangram got started, uh, we were basically a full time band playing six, seven nights a week in the New England club circuit in like five or six states up there. 
And um, I was drumming away, and one day the band said, uh, we've been talking amongst ourselves, you know? And I said, oh, really? So, yeah, they, they said, uh, we we think you're a better singer than maybe you are our drummer. <laughs> Why don't you come out front and sing? It's like a, a backhanded compliment, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. well, the, you know, New England guys, they got to slap you around first before they give you a compliment. <laughs> same, same thing here in Jersey and New York. Yeah, exactly. But, oh, really? And then, you know, I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then I'm like, what the hell? What? I got to do what? Go out front, you know? I've been hiding behind the drums, singing away, not worrying about it. Now I got to worry about being a front man. So at that point, you know, we had all kinds of dates on the calendars, you know, full six, seven nights a week. So they said, yeah, we're, we're going to want to do it in, in a couple of weeks, you know? So I just got busy to learning songs, cover, you know, radio songs at the time. And, and we made a big change over. They actually called it the Robert Allen band for a moment. And then, uh, we ran into, uh, when I uh, met Chris and Pelletieri in the clubs, we were actually opening up for uh, the Greg Almond band in Connecticut. Tom's smiling. Tom, Tom's a huge, huge Almond <laughs> The Almond brothers, brothers are my all-time favorite band. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love them too. Especially the original lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Almond was singing that night. I know that. And we were, uh, you know, we did the show, and Chris came up afterwards and said, man, we need to play together. And I'm like, oh, hi, who are you? You know, like. He says, well, I actually own the PA system you guys are using tonight, or, you know, the Alma Brothers are. He says, but uh, I said, well, why don't we uh, get together tomorrow at the club and hear what you got, you know? And he came down and just plugged in and blew me away. So he ended up joining Tangram, and we changed the name to Vice, and that's, uh, you know, that's well, that was the beginning of my collaboration with Chris with Vice. So as, as a drummer singer, were you influenced by uh, Don Brewer of Grand Funk? Yes, I was. That was my first concert I ever saw was Grand Funk Railroad, and it was Don Brewer for me. Because we, we had Jeff Martin on from uh, Racer X and Badlands recently, and he started out as a singing drummer. And that's what Oh, he, really? That's what, that's what he told us, the same thing, is that, that Don Brewer was his... Don Brewer, oh, man. Grand Funk Railroad, on time. I remember the, the live album they did. Yeah, I was in the... Definitely into Grand Funk Railroad. I, I figured as much. You know, and it's just probably, we're probably, it's probably around the same age. So we probably grew up on the same stuff. And yeah, well, well I'm 64. Uh, Martin, I think, is 66. He's a little bit older than we are. Yeah, I yeah, guess it's all from the a same era. A little older than me, but yeah. yeah. They're all from the same era. And I was a huge Grand Funk fan also. Yeah, I remember that drum solo, seeing that live. I was just my Oh, God, yeah, he was, was a tremendous, besides being a terrific singer, he was a really good drummer, too. Yeah. So how did you get hooked up with Impelletieri? He was a West Coast guy, though, wasn't he? Well, first of all, you know, he's actually from Connecticut, and I met him in Connecticut. Okay. And we played in Vice for about a year. And uh, he got real restless and wanted to go to L.A., so he went to L.A. Right, okay. He, he left the band, left, went to L.A. about a year later. I got a call from uh, Mike Varney from Shrapnel Records. He said, uh, we've been trying to put a band together and, uh, out here with uh, Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge, and now we got uh, you know Tony McAlpine on guitar, and uh, we heard about you. So uh, if you want to fly out here for you know chance of a lifetime, we'll fly you out here. You can audition for this band. What do you think? And I was like, who? Rudy <laughs> Sarzo, Tommy Aldridge, Ozzy Osbourne's band? <laughs> I said, uh, oh, okay, okay. What do I do to prepare? 
nothing. Just get on the plane. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a couple weeks later I got on the plane. I was like, Oh crap. What am I doing? I don't even know what I'm doing. Well, we got in a rehearsal studio over there on a big stage and they just looked at me and said, uh, we're going to jam. And then we just wanted to start singing. Just, I said, sing what? They said, whatever comes to your mind, just do it. Yeah. That's it. And, and no other discussion, no other talk. And they start jamming. I start singing out, making up melodies and lyrics as I go. And we did that for, for what seemed like a while for me because I was nervous. <laughs> Nothing like putting you on a spot, huh? Yeah. And they say, you like Mexican food? I said, yeah. They took me out to eat and they said, yeah, we got uh, we like what we like. We like what we heard. They said so. That's you know that led to the Mars Project Driver recording. Right, you know? it had a lot of buzz when it came out, and I I mean I bought the vinyl when it came yeah, out. Yeah, me too. I, honestly, I never thought it lived up to the to the lineup of of the guys in it. I I was never wild about the production on it, and well, a lot of Vonnie stuff didn't have great production in it, but. It was an introduction for me to to your vocals and McAlpine's guitar playing, which was really the highlights uh, to me on this album. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, my thoughts are it's I don't know, I, I struggled with that record. It was my first recording. Uh, Mike Varney pretty much beat me up in there verbally. <laughs> He's like, uh, we don't want no damn Journey singer. You know, we, this is a metal record, and I'm thinking, well, why'd you call me then? You know, because, you know, I was singing all the, uh, not Journey, but I was always into Sticks, Kansas, Boston, and those, those are the cover songs I was playing back in the club. So so he toughened me up in there. And uh, so to me, that was a big learning lesson for me. You know, I loved it because it was real heavy, but vocally I had to really put it into my vocals, all that heaviness too. Yeah, it was heavy. I mean, I, I thought the songwriting was, you know, it was, it, again, for the guys that were in it that had, you know, like Sazo and Aldridge, I had the big pedigrees already. I think the hype kind of, you know, outweighed the um, the songwriting and, and the production of it. But it did get a lot of, I remember when it came out, it got a lot of hype. Yeah, well, it's, it's still, it's really a big, cult following in Europe on that one and it's still going it's still still talked about today but yeah it was my first album and you know I'm happy I'm happy I got the chance to do it but you know like I said we, we recorded the album and while we were in there recording um, Rudy Rudy and Tommy were calling around looking trying to look for some tour openings while Varney was shopping it to uh, major labels you know yeah did you guys tour, tour it at all no, by time before Varney could even get a, a major label sign, uh, Coverdale made an offer to Rudy and Tommy that they couldn't refuse. Okay. <laughs> and they left for White Snake. They went and did the videos, and then they went on tour for what two or three years behind the uh, Still in the Night record. You know. So how did you get hooked up with Joshua? I, I think that would have probably been your next gig, right? Uh, well, after Mars, I uh, Chris was still in L.A. Looked, couldn't find a singer he was happy with, so I did the Black EP with Chris. Okay, the debut, the the EP, right? Yeah, and he was shopping that around while I was, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, am I going to rejoin Chris? I'm in L.A. now. I'm I just lost my shirt. I lost my band. I lost my production. Everything back east. What am I going to do now? Now that Mars disbanded, and I saw an ad in uh, a local. I forgot the name of that newspaper, but it was a famous newspaper in L.A. for musicians and stuff, a weekly paper. Rock City News, maybe? Yeah, it wasn't Rock City. It was another. It was kind of like a penny saver, kind of like a, one of them 
magazines, but Joshua had put an ad for a singer in there. Okay. And, and I was like, you know, I was pretty distraught over losing, you know, over the, my whole big ass, my big dream just falling apart that I said, you know, I should go back to my Christian roots. I said, I, I should do a Christian band. Cause obviously I just got kicked in the teeth by chasing my, uh, rock and roll dreams here number one in my life and this is what i get nothing so i was pretty pissed off was was that joshua ad um something where it said you know looking for a christian it said musician? yeah looking for a christian singer for rca worldwide deal something like that and i said oh really and i it, you know and send us your professional bio photo in 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 rec- you know demo recordings or whatever and i said you know what i said lord you want me to have this gig then it'll happen. Otherwise, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So on a napkin, I wrote my name and phone number and I took a cassette tape that I had from the studio of the Mars Project driver songs, rolled the tape up in the napkin, put it in an envelope and mailed it to him. I said, I ain't got no picture. I ain't taking a picture. (laughs) I had an attitude, man. You know, it was like, I was like, oh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, you know, a little jaded, I think, at the moment. Yeah, yeah and, and you de- you already developed an edge to you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, he, you know, invited me to come down and audition, and then I ended up joining his band for a couple of years. We, were, we actually rehearsed that album, Intense Defense, for two years before he ever got uh, over to Germany to record the album. Yeah, he, he spoke about it extensively, about all, all of that, and the money pumped into it. <clears throat> from the record label and because uh, I had asked him about how he got Tim Gert, the, the drummer that was from Streets and Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who's a terrific drummer. I thought have you seen the, the videos of the in studio footage that are on YouTube from from that album? From the rehearsals? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of it, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of it on there. It, it's pretty it was a very impressive band. It was, aside from the fact that material was great. Yeah, no, the songs are incredible. And the band was top to bottom really good. It, it's really a shame that that band did not click in, in terms yeah. of, you know, the whole nine yards because it was right up there with the stuff, uh, all the top stuff of that era. Yeah, it's a shame it, how it fell apart. But I mean, he spoke about it a lot. I mean, we went we went through it with him, and yeah, I mean, he he felt the same way, you know, like how how good it was, and you know, high end it was, and it should have it should have done more. But um, if you could speak a little bit about uh, the Angelica uh, project, because that's another that's another band we had um, Jerome Mazza from Angelica on the podcast, and he actually came in the band. After you, so you were on the first album. If you could tell us about that a little bit. Oh well, that was after the Joshua thing. Um, I got a call from my friend Ken Tamplin, who was in Joshua at the time that I joined, but then he had left shortly after I joined. But Ken said, "I'm doing a studio album with this guy Dennis Cameron, and uh, we need a singer to come in and sing these songs." So I thought of you. You want to do it? And I said. you're producing it? He goes, yeah, I'm producing it. And I said, okay, I'll come in and do it. So I went in there. I think I was in there for a day and a half and just pounded out the songs. And um, that's about, that was my part of it. You know, the songs were already written and I, I was just singing it. And Ken was behind the bars telling me, uh, you know, okay, yeah, let's go do it again. Okay, let's go to the next song, you know. Right, right. Kind of cheerleading me on. And and I met Dennis. He's a great guy too. And um, 
yeah, that was a real quick experience for me. I at the time, and I found out after I did the recording that they actually they had a singer they were working with. For some reason, it didn't work out with him, and I don't know. I don't remember what his name was. I don't, I don't know if that was Jerome or not. Andy Lyon. Andy Lyon, that's it, yeah. He's actually pictured on the, on the CD. If you look at the CD, it says Andy Lyon vocals. Then at the very bottom, it says, really, all the vocals were performed by Rob Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that was a studio gig for me, you know. And uh, I wanted to be, like I said, I wanted to be, I wanted to be on a Christian label. I wanted to, I wanted to sing for God, you know, and that's, that's, that was with the Joshua thing. That's why I did the Angelica thing. And, and at the same time I did, was doing Angelica, I was putting Driver together with Roy Z, the second version of it. Right. And we wrote a lot of killer songs, which most of those killer songs we wrote back then ended up on my first couple of solo albums. So it was not for any, you know, all that songwriting we did turned out to be pretty good for me later in life, you know, so. So after the Angelica experience, tell us, you know, where where you were at that point in your career and what led you to um, where you went after that. Well, at that point, I was with Driver, and we were, like I said, we were demoing songs, writing songs. Roy Z is an incredible songwriter, too. And that dude, he was a great producer back then. He was making great-sounding demos on a four-track. That guy is one of the most talented. I mean, he resurrected Bruce Dickinson's career. As a solo oh, artist, I mean Dickinson would have never had the success he had as a solo artist without Roy Z. Yeah, I think Ralph, Rob Halford Resurrection album too is yeah. killer. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, so yeah, he's you know I had the privilege of working with him for you know many two or three years at least, writing songs and, and we tried to make it. We were playing clubs. We went actually moved from the West Coast to the East Coast and we're playing clubs back then. We were rehearsing in a barn at my, of my. Uh, my ex, her brother-in-laws or some family member, we were in the barn, you know, rehearsing and making demos. We were making demos for Atlantic Records. Oh, wow. I mean, they kept calling us up and saying, you got any more songs? You got any more songs? And they were, they wanted to sign us, Derek Oliver over at Atlantic Records. And he said, you know, there's something new coming on. And it was the grunge thing. I didn't know nothing about that. He said, yeah, we're going to hold off on signing you. The, the label wants to sign a different type of stuff now. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? We got all these great songs, and you know, and we've been feeding you songs for six, eight months now. And, and in the end, they didn't sign us, you know. And grunge took off, Nirvana came out, and that was the end of, uh, you know, music in the USA, at least that my style back then. You know, Europe, Europe and Japan was still doing it, but not, not the USA. You did have the good fortune, though, of aligning with uh, Chris and Pelletieri and, and even the Axel Rudy Pell album uh, at that time when the States was really void of great hard rock. There was still a lot of good stuff that was coming out in, in Europe and Japan. Well, I could tell you some stories that probably no one's ever heard because no one's really asked me, but <laughs> I was playing back east in Springfield. With, you know, Roy Z and the driver band playing in the clubs, I got a call from Chris. He said, man, I've asked you several times over the years to join my band. You haven't done it. I'm going to ask you one more time. Join my band, man. I got a deal with JVC Victor Japan. And I was just, you know, and after Atlantic Records denied us and they told us the tides were changing, I was just like, all right, man, I'll join your band. I said, you know, 
I don't know when, how soon do I got to do this? You know, it's right away, you know, it's always right away. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I decided to leave driver, but I was on the East Coast. I said, man, I got no way to, uh, I got no way to move back to the West Coast. Well, at the same time, I got the manager, well, a soon, uh, was to be manager if he got driver signed, but he never did. I know this guy, Oxford Pell, that's looking for a studio singer. He just wants, you know, he wants someone to come in and, and record the album that he's working on. You know, he'll pay you pretty good. I said, well, how long is it going to take? He said, well, he'll fly you over for a week. And then I said, okay, I'll do it. So it was a paid gig. I flew to Germany for a week. And I would get up every morning, listen to his song that he wanted to do that day, write the song lyrically. He, was, he had some melodies going on. And not all the time, but I would take what he had and develop it and develop it. And then I'd go in about seven or eight o'clock at night and sing it. I'd sing it three or four times. That was it. I never heard a playback. Okay, great, Rob. We'll see you tomorrow. I have another song for you tomorrow. (laughs) Same thing. We did it every day. And then I left Germany. I went from Germany to L.A. and got an apartment in Studio City to work with Chris again, you know, with Join and Pelletary. And then Axelrody Powell came out, you know, and. I gotta say that, and that that error, that time, that was a like a live record for me because there was no rehearsing, there was no listening back and fixing stuff. They just did, they just did edits from the four performances of each song, you know. And I, my voice is in killer shape too, and and I really like that album a lot. I I like that album a lot. I, I I first of all, I'm a huge fan of his from the first album he did with Charlie Yoon, right to to you, and then. He did, I don't know, a million albums with Soto and two million albums with Johnny Gioli. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've always liked him and still do like him a lot. But I, that second album that you were on, it was kind of, I don't think he was even a touring project at that time, right? It was basically studio. No. Out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Studio. Yeah. He didn't really start like the touring and becoming like an entity until Soto came in the band after you. Yeah, and Soto, I think, did the tour, because I remember yes, he I did. talked to Jeff once, and he said, yeah, when I did that Axe Rudy Pell tour, everyone's asking me if I'm Rob Rock. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> <Right>. I ain't Rob Rock. <laughs> oh, it's funny. But, but he's always, Pell, Pell has always had a thing where he has his, his buddy on keyboards and his buddy on bass, guys that he's been, yep. he was with a band called Steeler back into the early 80s. And those guys were from that band, but he always wanted American drummers and American singers. And he had uh, Tarani on drums forever. Now he's got yeah. Ronda, now he's got Bobby Rondinelli, and he and he and he cut through Yoon. Then he went to you. Then he went to Soto. Then he went to Julie. All American singers. And that's his mantra. But he's become a big entity. You know, Pelly's yeah. had a tremendous career for three decades. Yeah, it's great. I went and did. I did. Uh... I think it was a 30-year anniversary at the Banger Head Festival with him, where he had a bunch of yes, I have the DVD. Of of yeah, he had he had he even had Bonnet there, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, he's uh, he's got quite a career. So now you you're moving in the direction of Chris, I guess, as a uh, like a, yeah. co- a commitment. Now I'm in LA with Chris, saying, "Okay, let's do this thing," and that's when we uh, wrote and recorded uh, Grin and Barrett. Which was an album we were talking about before we went on the air. Again, like uh, Mark was asking me about my, my opinions of it. And as I said, I didn't think you guys really had the impelitary sound yet on that album. It was kind of 
more melodic hard rock meets, you know, a little bit of shredder stuff, but I didn't think like the whole blueprint of the the rock and Pelletieri sound was cemented yet. Am I off on that or? No, I think you're right. I think the Pelletieri rock sound was the black EP. That was me and Chris just wailing in the studio. But no, no thought of anything but doing whatever we want to do. Now we're on JVC trying to deliver a, a modern record because we want to be signed in America, not realizing, you know, not seeing the crystal ball that grunge was going to take over like it did. But we were trying to be modern and trying to be, you know, radio, trying to trying to write songs to get big. And, and I think we just lost sight on that album of what we do naturally. We were trying to be a formulated thing. A where, formula, exactly. That's what it you kind know, of write, reminded write me of. Write songs that the people want to hear right. instead of write, write songs like we write. A little more cliche hair band type of sound it had. Yeah. But, you know, I tell you, when you're young kids like that, you, at that young, you know, and you're, you, you don't know what to chase, man. Because I grew up thinking when I was in the clubs, learning the songs, learning how to sing, how to drum, if I hone the talent that God gave me, the best of my ability and work on it 24 hours a day, I'm going to make it period. I had no idea that has, has to do with the right time, the right place, the right chance, the right payola, the right, who, you know, you know what I mean? I didn't know all that then. And an obstacle block called like music that really didn't center on great musicianship and great singing anymore. Yeah, exactly. It, it, when, when music went to all about the show, you know? So yeah, things, things are changing up on me. You know, if, if I knew then what I know now, you know, it would have went a whole different route probably. Who knows? I mean, had, had Grin and Barrett come out probably two years earlier, I think it would have had probably a different different kind of life to it. Yeah. It yeah. would have had MTV videos. So. Yeah, it would have. Yeah. No, yeah. That musically, and I said that to Tom earlier. I was actually listening to it on my ride down to here tonight to record this uh, episode, and uh, I really enjoyed it, you know? Yeah, it's, I kind of, you know, I like it. I like it, but I do agree that it's not it's not what we were doing naturally. When we got back to doing that when we did, you know, Victim of the System and Answer to the Master album, we just said oh, Well, yeah. those are the albums I wanted to touch on because in my opinion, as as a longtime fan, Victim of the System, Answer to the Master, Screaming Symphony, that to me is the real meat and potatoes of when you guys were like on fire. That's I agree, man. That 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 was home. That was home for us. That was just like, you know, we're gonna do what we do. JVC said, do what we do. You know, after Grin and Barrett, JVC said, uh, we were expecting something a little different, maybe more like your black EP. And, and it gave us permission to be ourselves and just say, screw it. No, no American label wants us. When we're going to give Japan what they want. And, and that's us. So it was easy. Oh, yeah. So we I mean, just did what yeah. we did. And, and, and little did we know at that time that that was the best route we should have taken from the start. Well, you know, for all the all the '80s different types of music, the the one thing that kind of lasted through the '90s was the classic shredder with the great singer. Like Malmsteen teamed up with um, uh, the guy from Obsession, Mike Vissera, and he had a he had a great run with Vissera through the same period of time that you did with Impelitieri, and had great success in in Germany and especially Japan. And um, that seemed to be the one type of music that still had resonated all throughout Europe and the Far East was the shredder with the great, you know, high-end singer. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you're talking that's what between the '93 and '96 periods. Right. So, that's yeah. right. That's when Vicera was with uh, Malmsteen, and they were doing the same type of stuff and had huge success. I, I mean, Malmsteen at that point was probably bigger than he was, you know, earlier in the '80s and in, in, in the '90s with that that formula. So it seemed to be of the like of all the different crazy, you know, bands of the '80s, that was the one thing that kind of resonated through the nineties. Yeah. And I'm real grateful. I've lasted through all that time, you know, like, you know, most bands last what, four or five years and four or five albums. And then we've been able to keep going for decades now. So it's, it's been great. In 1998, you recorded eye of the hurricane, which is another uh, album I liked. And then after that, 2000 was crunch. If you could tell us a little bit about those two albums. Uh, Eyes of hurricane and crunch. That's uh, Chris. Actually, we moved uh, from the, the LA big budget studios because the big budget went out the window when the popularity went out the window with those kind of recordings, you know, and uh, Chris had bought a, a really nice, I think it was an SSL board and he had it in, in his home recording studio. So we basically recorded that in more of a home atmosphere. You know, Chris is playing guitar at his house. I'm singing at his house. And uh, basically it was, you know, me and Chris just, wailing away on it trying to trying to make great albums as we could yeah they 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 i i think they were very similar to the ones before it and then you started your own solo career with rage of creation around that time correct yeah yeah it was around what around 2000 i believe yeah the um jvc victor you know they they uh they asked me uh, would you be interested in recording a solo record uh, rob song i said uh yeah, I'd be interested in that, you know? So I said, Chris, man, you mind if I record a solo album? He goes, no, go ahead, do it. Do what you want. So at that point, everything was cool. And, you know, I turned to Roy Z and said, Roy, man, I need songs for a solo album. He says, oh, great. We got great songs together, man. Let's, you know, let's open up the vault and see what we got. And we ended up with Rage of Creation, which, uh, you know, which is, was awesome and it went over huge in europe yeah yeah oh no i remember when burn magazine gave it like a 90 something and uh it 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 took off huge that first album i i'm a big fan of that yeah yeah i love that it's it's old school metal absolutely it was it was yeah it was like 1988 type of metal it was like you bastards and you guys didn't sign us way back then. We're putting it out now, you know. Well, that you know that was that was the thing. Yeah, that was all that stuff that nobody wanted. It did still kind of resonate with different parts of the world. Uh, unfortunately, not the USA, and even to this day, not particularly the USA. But yeah, you know. And then Chris kind of went uh, veered in some different directions. I know with uh, he brought back Graham Bonnet. Yeah, he was like, well, I didn't expect you to do music so similar in Pelletary. I said, well, well, I don't, I don't think it was so similar to Pelletary. It wasn't, it wasn't a shredder thing. It was more of a song orientated thing. So in my mind, it was like, it's just about great rock songs. Roy Z is not, he's a great shredder, Roy Z, but he's not focused on that. He's focused on songs. He's all about the song and the singer. Right. And so for me as a singer, I'm like, this is, this is where I should be when I'm doing a solo album, have a producer that really wants to work with the singer and not worry about, you know, shredding and everything else. So I thought it was a different thing, but Chris thought it was too similar. So he said, well, I'm going to do another album with Graham and then, you know, see what happens later. 
So that's what happened. I went and did, you know, four albums, solo albums, and he went went and did Grand Bonnet in uh, in I think he did another album as well. Oh, he did the horrible pedal to the metal, which I would tell him if I interviewed him too. I <laughs> hated that album, but oh. that's just my opinion of pedal to the metal. I actually wasn't overly wild about the Bonham album either, uh, the, the Graham Bonnet album either, but yeah, um, that's just my opinions. Um, then you came back in Wicked Maiden. How did that all come about? Man, now, now I got to dust off some cobwebs here. 2009. <laughs> 2009. Well, you did, you did a few more solo albums uh, prior to that. Right. And, it, yeah, right, I did the right. solo albums. I did the, the live at Atlanta, Georgia there. Oh, the Prog Power, Power Festival. Prog Power, yeah. Yes, that's a DVD. You know, it, you know, it was funny. Was when I started my solo record, I said to myself, if I can put out at least three albums and get a live video out there, then I'm good, you know? And I ended up with four in a live video, so I was happy. I was, like, satisfied at that point. Did you feel like you were you were at that point going to stay solo, or did you somehow you know feel that you'd you'd work your way back to uh, Chris and Pelletieri? I think I was uh, I was solo minded. I mean, with Garden of Chaos, I had gotten you know the a couple guys from the Narnia band to tour with me, and we were doing a lot of touring dates and in different bunch of Europe and in South America, and so yeah, I was definitely in, in solo mode. But um, you know, at, I think when Chris called. He's, you know, he called me up and said, Hey man, it's time to do another record. And I, we, we just giggled at each other. I said, okay. And it was Wicked Maiden. So that was a good introduction. I think back to what you guys had been that album. Yeah. You know, when I think of that album, I think of the, the scream on the Wicked, Wicked Maiden, the opening scream there. Yeah. That's, I was real happy with that. It came, it came out great in the first take. So I was like, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> you know? Well, it had to be kind of, kind of like riding a bicycle at that point, right? I mean, you'd done a bunch of albums with Impelitary, and then, you know, you take that that solo, you know, venture, and then here, what, eight, eight nine years later, you come back, and it's almost like, hey, you know, this is what we do, and this is what we sound like, and we're going to pick right up with it. Yeah, it's like putting on an old pair of shoes. Hey, man, these, these feel pretty good. Right. Yeah, you know, they're already worn in. You know what you're doing, you know? I know myself personally. I was very happy to see that you guys had got back together at that time. I, I did. I did like the record, although the the follow up, which was about five years in between, Venom. That's my all time personal favorite Impelitieri album. Wow, cool. That's that's yeah. We did a lot of uh, detuning on that album. Yes, this, this, it's heavy. Yes, yeah. it's so the songs are just Empire Lies, We Own the Night. I, I think th those are two of the strongest songs that you you did probably from the beginning of your partnership. If you could talk about that album, because it is for me a huge favorite of of your back catalog. Yeah, that, that was a that was a great album. We were just again we were focused on on the songs and on the writing, and we spent we spent the time it took to do do a lot of the vocals. You know, I was doing vocals here in uh, Florida. And we were going back and forth with the, with the recordings, and it's kind of produced in a little different way. But with Chris's, Chris came a long, a long way as a producer, too, during that time. And uh, I think it showed on the album, you know? Yeah, well, that album had really good production, as did the, the follow-up, Nature of the Beast. Both of those albums had really big, fat, like, real-deal production on them, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, uh, the the guy that um, mixes it is up in Canada, 
but most of the production was uh, done with Chris. So I give Chris credit for that, you know. Now, at this p period of time with Impelitiri, what was the touring schedule like? Were you doing just strictly like a, a exclusive dates in Japan? Uh, yeah, I, th I think pretty much it was Japan. It was Japan. We did some LA shows as a warm up to Japan. Then we went to uh, we actually went to Korea. It headlined a big festival there, and I didn't realize it, but Japan, uh, JVC Japan, was releasing our catalog in Korea, South Korea, all this time. And they were like, you got a big following over there. You guys should play over there. We're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. One day a promoter called us up and said, we want you to play this festival and headline it. And we're like, headline it? <laughs> we never even played there. He goes, yeah, headline it. It's a Basun Festival. Wow. And we went there, and it was amazing. It was crazy. There was a lot of people there. I don't know. I don't know. If, I think the, it was like 100,000, but I think that was for the whole weekend. But I know there was at least 30 or 40 when we played, and it was great. I mean, Rudy Sarves was on base for that show. Really? Yeah. James couldn't make it for some reason, and, and Rudy stepped in and filled in for us. And I was like, oh, this is what it was supposed to feel like back in 1986, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a great show and a great time. And, you know, we were trying to expand our, our touring areas, but we did expand it in Japan, and we did do – you know, some L.A. dates and shows, warm-up shows. So Okay. Well, jump back a little bit in time. I mean, you, you kind of said, you know, hey, maybe this is what it's supposed to feel like with, with Rudy. But jump back a few years prior to the uh, the Venom album. In 2012, you did another Driver album, right? Oh, with Roy. Yeah. Yeah, we did Yeah, we did two Driver albums. We did Sons of Thunder, and then we did a, a follow-up after that. And uh, th those came out on a German label. You know, and they also came out in conjunction with uh, King Records in Japan. So had, I was going to say, they came out in Japan, too, because I have the Japanese yeah. copies of them, yeah. Yeah, so... Were they uh, were they new, newly written songs? Uh, yeah, those are pretty much newly written songs. I think there are a couple of couple ideas were back from our, you know, earlier collaborations, but most of those were newer stuff, yeah. Okay. And I did want to mention to you that uh, I, me and, and my partner, Mark, saw you guys at a, uh, a little hole in the wall called uh, Dingbats. Dingbats. And Dingbats in, Jer in Jersey a couple of years ago. I think it was a warm-up gig before you went over to, um, to 2019. To 2019. Do you remember that gig? Was that in Palatary? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Dingbats. Dingbats yes. in Jersey. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. I remember hanging out in the street after the show a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was a loud little club. It, little club, yes, and and loud, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's true. That would yeah. just, that would definitely describe dingbats. <laughs> yeah, we were both there. Yeah. Um, and I remember uh, it was funny because I and Tom and I were just talking. We we're like, "What song was it?" And we you you did this song. It was towards the end of the set. And we couldn't remember which one because we're trying to look at the set list now. But we looked at each other and we were just like shaking our heads like, wow, this band is is just awesome. And the song was The Future is Black. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Future is Black. Wow, yeah. For, for me, I never got to see you guys. So I've been a, a fan of, of yourself and, and Chris from literally day one. So when we found out that you were going to do a, you know, I, I guess that was like a warm-up gig for when you guys were going over to Japan. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. We did like, uh, I think it was five shows 
throughout New England. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Some of them were up in New England, and so that was yeah that that for me that was a dream come true to see you guys and I never have seen you before, but to see you in a little club in New Jersey and do a full set. I think you did like seventeen songs that night. Yeah, yeah. It was probably your set list when you went over to Japan. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a thrill to see to see the band after all those years. Oh, that's that's great, man. You know, you play them clubs, you're like, okay, it's not it's not Japan, but these people came to get rock, so let's give it. No, I mean, you got you guys played like you were in front of fifty thousand people, which was, yeah. you know. Like, like I said, it was it was the set list was phenomenal too. I mean, right down to a symptom of the universe as an encore. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like I, it was like I died and went to heaven. <laughs> oh man! So I wanted to talk a little bit about Nature of the Beast, which was the the last um, Impelitari album. I know I know that they, Chris had just come out with the. The three three disc compilation, the three disc compilation, which is the, obviously yeah. the newest thing. But the last studio album was the Nature of the Beast, which was another one that I I real I, I to me the band is like going back to like that early '90s period with the last two releases, where the material is very strong and everything seems to be, you know, firing on a, a high note. If you could tell us a little bit about uh, your your thoughts on Nature of the Beast and the recording of that. Yeah, Nature of Beast. Yeah, I really like that song. I mean, that whole album. The whole album is great. Yeah, the uh, I don't know. Chris, Chris has been. Uh, he's got a system down now. I think when he's writing his songs, he demos them all up. He works them all out, and then when he's finally done, he sends them over to me. It says, "Okay, uh, do something for this. You know, let me know. Let me know what you come up with." So, so I'm at home demoing vocals and lyrics over it. And then I send it back to him and 50% of the time is, wow, that's great. That's great. Let's do that. Keep working on that. The other 50% of the time is, uh, well, what if you tried singing it this way? And what if, uh, you know, I kind of had this melody in mind when I was writing the music, this melody popped in my head. Why don't you incorporate that melody here for the chorus? The rest of it's fine. You know, work it out. So we're like, it's, the last two albums, I think, is, was mainly have been worked out while I'm in Florida and he's in California, you know, just going back over the phone and stuff. And I think it's just because over the years, we've, I guess we're professional enough to know what we're doing on our own. So when we put it together, we're kind of weeding out from some, you know, it's, it's really hard when you're writing songs because you're in your own world and you don't know what anyone else is going to think. You know what you think. Mm-hmm. You think it's good, but it might not be that good or as good as it can be until your partner hears it and says, oh, man, try that. And then you're like, oh, man, why didn't I think of that? Right. You know? And so bouncing off each other that way is, I think, the last couple of albums, I think, is what's really been able to, to keep us going in that, that, like you said, that raw, natural direction where we're both doing what, whatever we do naturally. And then together, we're teaming up and putting it together, you know? Two New England dudes just doing what they do. There you go. Do you think you get to a point in your career? Because, I mean, this is how I view your last two albums, where you're really doing the albums for the hardcore fans and not trying to win over another base. Or it's it's really what you guys want to do for the hardcore base that you know you you still possess in the year 2022. Uh, yeah, definitely, man. Like I said, like 
the Grin and Barrett days were chasing chasing stardom or whatever. But now we're not chasing that. Now it's we're doing it for the love of doing it, you know. We're doing it because we love to do it because we can't keep up with all the, the, the rap core out there. We're not about to go down that road, you know. So you might as well just do what you do. And I think that's that's basically our mindset is just write stuff that we like to do. You know, we like to expand and, and, and venture off in different areas like, you know, like Phantom of the Opera, you know, that song on Nature of the Beast. Now, when I first heard that, it was a demo from Chris, and he's noodling and, and burning up that fretboard all over it. And I said, oh, come on, man. That ain't the song. And then, you know, and then I'm thinking, I'm listening to it more and more. I'm like, yeah, but that's in Pelletary. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I like this, man. <laughs> so I called up and he said, you know, I'm singing it away. He goes, yeah, you know, yeah. What are you, you an opera singer? Nah, I don't think so. Because why don't you try try singing to like imagine what would Dio sing over that, you know? Right, right. And so what happened was during the verses, if you notice, we just kind of threw the book out the window, and I just started ad libbing with their lyrics over the over the music. And when I did that, you know, I was playing games with Chris, but he loved it. He said, "Oh no, that's it, man, go for it." So I just honed that down and and. You know, and it turned out great, and I loved it, and I loved it because we actually did something that that came from us, even though we we're doing a, a opera cover song, which I thought was weird. But like I said, when the way he was shredding over it, it was impelitary. So it it turned out to be to me great, one of the strongest songs on the record for yes, me. Yes, it love is. It. I, I agree. So will there be a, a a new forthcoming album in 2023 from you guys? Yeah, I believe there will be. Yeah, Chris is Chris says he's got a lot of songs that he's got down already and he's still ironing out things and I should be getting it soon. He says, so, and once I get my hands on it, then it's, then it's all focus on that and, and try to make the uh, best album we can make, you know? I just want to throw a, f before we, we let you go, I just want to throw a few oddball things that you were involved in. If you can give us your feedback when you cut the album with the band warrior. Yeah. I love that album too, man. <laughs> that album's heavy. That's heavy really heavy. heavy. Very heavy. Yeah. Really heavy. But good heavy. <laughs> I mean, because your vocals saved it, but it's really, really heavy. Yeah. In fact, it's much heavier than what they really had ever sounded like. They were never like that type of heavy, but it took it to uh, to another level of heavy for them. But it's it's a good album. Yeah, it's kind of it's like a dramatic album for me. You know. Joe Floyd was behind them, you know, he writes the songs and he's, it was in his studio, Silver Cloud. And that's where I recorded most of uh, the Rage of Creation album with Roy Z. And that's where I met Joe Floyd. And so when Joe, Joe needed a singer, he called me up and said, Rob, you, you want to do an album with me? I said, what? He goes, yeah, I need a singer, man. Warrior album, I said, oh man, Fighting for the Earth is one of my favorite records, man. I says, how am I going to, you know, I can't step in the, you know, McCartney's shoes there, or Perry, and uh, he's like, no, no, it's it's different. It's you know, it's heavier stuff. It's different stuff. It's you know, well, just come down and hear the songs, man, and tell me, you know, and we'll just work on it together. So I went down there and we started working on it. I started getting into it. He's like, no, let's sing it heavy, like majestic, like big, and you know, we we're just kind of creating this, almost like trying to do a movie, audio wise somehow, you know. So it's it's like turned out great. I really liked it that way because it was a whole different environment for me, a whole different way of working. 
and you know he joe was pulling out an even heavier side than i knew i had in me you know on that mic so it was, it yeah was, i think it was a heavier side than he even knew he had on it because there early there this stuff before that wasn't that heavy but um i was a big fan of perry's uh vocals also but I think yeah. your vocals on that style really fit that album. Yeah, I, I really like it. I, I really like that song. Open your eyes on that song. Yeah, that, that's probably that's probably the best song on the album. And the other band I wanted to talk to you about was uh, Fires of Babylon, which is another album I liked a lot. Oh yeah, well that was uh, when I did the uh, when we did the Driver albums with the um, the German label, George, the head of the label there, he. I think it was metal heaven records metal heaven label and uh he said i got uh paul over here he's got a band in uh he's looking for a singer but it's a christian band you want to sure you want to do a christian band i said yeah i'll do a christian band with him you know and ended up uh he was sending sent sent the music over and i thought wow this is a little odd to me because the uh the chord changes and the chords he's using the tuning was something I haven't heard, didn't never work with before. And, um, and so I just approached it. I tried to approach it the same way I always approach it, but I ended up modifying it to fit that, that mood and that kind of thing. And, and I was trying to write some heavy Christian lyrics with it. And, you know, it was, it was basically a project and we recorded it and George put it out and I, you know, I like it too. It's, it's pretty heavy. And so I think it's a lot different than the other stuff I've done. Yeah, it is. And the, the label, I'm looking at the CD as I'm talking to you, it was Metal Heaven, yeah, out of Germany. Yeah, Metal Heaven, Metal yeah. Metal Heaven, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a little different than than a lot of the other stuff that you had done in the past. But it, I thought it was good. I, it was another album that I was uh, pretty big on when it came out at the time. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, it's not very well known, but it's, you know, it's, it's a cool album, I think. Rick Renstrom, that album, was another one that you appeared on, which was a... Uh, the stuff that you did on that, I liked a lot. If you could tell us about that. Well, Ricky was in my touring band with Rage of Creation. When I, you know, I didn't have a band together after when the album came out and I had to tour Europe and I put a band together in Florida. And uh, I put an ad out in the paper here <laughs> and had guys come down and audition. And uh, Ricky sent me a tape, sounded, you know, and he said, uh, I could play every song of yours note for note. And I said, oh, okay. All right, Ricky, let's go. You know, I didn't know him from a whole round, but I went over there and if you know Ricky, he's a he's physically different than everyone else. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the heck am I witnessing here? And I was floored, man. I was like, this guy can wail. You know? And I called my manager and I said, Is there a problem if I hire Ricky just because his his arms are different than other people's? And the manager said, uh, you'd have a lot of balls to do that, Rob. I said, what? Because if you like his playing, then use him. I says, but, you know, maybe maybe someone else held it against him, but it doesn't seem like you are. I said, no, I don't hold it against him. I give him praise for it. Absolutely, you know? yeah. <laughs> I said, this guy's blowing me away. Yeah, no, he could shred with anybody, that guy's tremendous, yeah. And he is the greatest guy on earth. Is man. he really? Yeah, sweet. that's He's that's a sweet guy, man. Nice, nice. He's a great guy. We had a great time on, on the road and touring and playing all the clubs in Florida for a couple of years here, you know, and uh, he decided that, he, you know, he wanted to do a solo album. So he said, can, can you help me out? I said, all right, yeah, I'll help you out. And we worked on it together and 
you know, was, was like zero production, you know, it was a low budget thing, but it came out pretty good. I thought it did. It, and actually it's got good sound to it. I just listened to it the other day to refresh my memory on it. It, 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 it sounds good. It doesn't sound like it's poorly produced. Well, good, good. I haven't heard it in a long time. I told you we'd pull out some uh, obscurities to, to test. <laughs> Grissom, I didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, well, Rob, I got to ask you, um, you said, you know, 2023, hopefully we'll see a new Impelitary album, but um, where are we at with uh, your solo career? I mean, 2007 was your last solo album. Is that something you think about, about maybe continuing that? Yeah, I think about it. I, I mean, I've got, I've got songs and demos, you know, that I've come up with over the years. I haven't really pursued it because I don't, I don't have like a label support right now for it. And I don't know if I'm waiting for someone to say, Hey man, let's do another album. I'll give you a budget because budgets are really hard to come by these days. So oh, yeah, I got some songs kicking around, but in the meantime, I, I've been doing little, uh, little side projects here and there and in recording when, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's just one song like, uh, like a keyboard player, Mysteria. He's he's done like a Vivaldi opera project. I've I've done a, a couple albums for him where I did one one song, you know. And you know, it's uh, a couple other one-offs. I'm working uh, with a guy named Martin Simpson doing a Destroyer of Death, which is basically probably going to turn into an, a whole album. We've been doing song by song, you know, over the last year or so. It's uh, me, him, and and C.J. Grimmark. Where uh, we're just the three of us are writing songs together, and then we're you know CJ's helping him record it, and I'm doing my vocals at home, and it's coming out really good. And, th- and that's a Christian project, and that's uh, I believe that'll probably be released in 2023 too, eventually. Oh, okay. So lots lots of stuff possibly looking forward to uh, 2023. Good good stuff. Have you ever th- have you ever thought about venturing at all into the AOR territory? I have. I have, and you know who's who always brings that up is Roy Z. Hmm. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like, man, I got some songs here. It's not exactly you know hard rock, but I think you'd sound killer doing it. Hmm. I I do too. You know, it's it's I, we were talking with um, Jeff Martin a, a few months ago when we had him on the podcast, and of course we were talking about Ray Gillen. Who's the singer in Badlands? And yeah. I, you guys, to me, like you don't have the same tone to your voice, but a, a lot of similarities in style. And Ray Gillen sang on this project called Phenomena, um, which was one of the guys from Trapeze was doing this series of AOR albums, Glenn Hughes, uh, John Wetton. And, and Ray Gillen sang on one of them. I think he sang like four songs. It was pure AOR. And it was fantastic you know i mean like he he actually blew away guys like max bacon and john wetton that were on the album and i and i could see you doing that but i know you've never done it in your career and i'm just wondering if you've ever would you know dip your toe in those waters yeah maybe i will (laughs) you know i uh i i didn't i was didn't know about phenomena i didn't know about that yeah Dream. The name of the album is Dream Hunter. If you want to check it out, Ray Gillen sings. I think four, he sings four songs on it. John Wetton's on it. Max Bacon, Glenn Hughes, and it's all AOR, like real oh, AOR, wow. keyboardy AOR. The guy from Vow Wow, uh, the Japanese guitar player, is a guitar player on it. And Ray Gillen, he's just tremendous on it. And it's and it's pure keyboard AOR. 
Well, I could see you that. doing that, but I know you never have. So I don't know if you had an aversion to it or something you you would possibly. No, that's kind of where I came out of with, with the vice, you know, Tangram vice. Right. That's what we were doing back then. So it'd be, it'd be like going home to that. I don't know. Right. I mean, just similar age to me where we all came from that era of those, you know, uh, all you know, whether it was Lou Graham or Brad Delp or, or Steve, Walsh, oh, yeah. you know, all those guys were just phenomenal, phenomenal. singers. Yeah. yeah. With very awesome. strong songs and all that stuff was AOR based, you know, that's where AOR came from all of those bands. So, all right. You, Roy Z suggested and I suggested it. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> yeah. What more do you want? Yeah. It's enough of a Songs, reason. <laughs> songs. Uh, you know, it's all about songs. That's one thing I learned in Joshua. It's all uh, about the songs. It, it is. No, it, it really go. is. It, it really is at the end of the day. It, it, yeah, it is. You know, it's, between him and Roy Z have, you know, come a long way in songwriting and course chris and Peltier write some great songs too so yeah now we certainly i've does. been lucky to work with some great players you, you know you oh, yeah. definitely have and they've been lucky to have you um rob hey uh we appreciate this talk tonight um i know tom's happy because he got to whittle away at his pile yes. of cds yes. that he had out <laughs> <laughs> that's great but we, we appreciate the talk for sure well, i appreciate it too i thank you guys for for the for the chat it's great it's great to talk through it it's yeah, so we'll uh, we'll look forward to uh, 2023, and uh, you know some new uh, new albums from you, and uh, hope you have a great holiday season, and uh, take care. Yeah, all right. Well, Merry Christmas to you guys as well. Yeah, thanks, same, Rob. Very same much. Here. Take care. All righty. All right, 2023, baby. That's right. We're waiting. <laughs> take care. Take all care. right. Bye. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.